Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Science Museum. Welcome to the home of human ingenuity. I'm Roger Highfield. I'm the Director of External Affairs at the museum. Fantastic to have you here tonight, the latest of our Cosmonauts exhibition-themed events. Um, great honor to have Alfonso Cuaron here uh, tonight. And actually, what's, it's, there's something appropriate about talking about gravity uh, tonight, given that we discovered the first gravitational waves yesterday, a century after they were predicted by Einstein. Yes, well done, Albert Einstein. Very appropriate indeed. It's also amazing that two people in that trailer have actually been on this IMAX stage talking about their experiences. Alexei Leonov talking about the world's first spacewalk. If you look closely at that scrap of live video, you could see, if you looked at his gloves, you could see they were overinflating. He got in terrible trouble in orbit, almost a miracle that he got back alive. And of course, the great Valentina. Tereshkova, first woman in space, first civilian in space, only woman to have traveled solo in space, who told her mum, I'm just off to do a bit of skydiving in Moscow, and the rest is history. So, and I, I think what's also amazing about Tereshkova, we forget that Gagarin and Tereshkova, uh, you know, the, their capsules didn't just land by parachutes back on Earth, they were ejected at seven kilometers and ejector seats. If they'd stayed in the capsule, they would have died on impact. You know, their missions were really hairy. Um, uh, amazing bravery shown by all of the early cosmonauts and actually inspirational figures for, of course, gravity. So, uh, for my money, anyway, Tereshkova is definitely the role model for Sandra Bullock. Now, uh, first of all, let me introduce uh, a very familiar face on TV and a very familiar voice on radio, Samira Ahmed. Samira presents BBC Radio 4's Front Row and uh, BBC One's Newswatch. Uh, she's got an incredibly, uh, she's very devoted to science fiction, frighteningly nerdy in some ways. And she's a visiting professor of journalism at Kingston University. Samira, welcome and give her a big hand of applause. <laughs> Now, and now to the start uh, of tonight, um, I'm trying to think of a, of a way to, I mean, I watched Gravity with Brian Cox, uh, and I remember staggering out into the sunlight, it was a sort of summer viewing, just completely blown away by what we'd seen on, on screen. I thought it was an awesome movie. And um, what really confirmed it was an awesome movie was we had Jim Lovell in the museum a couple of days later. And I said to Lovell, have you seen Gravity? And he was telling me how, um, you know, it, the, it was the talk of the NASA astronaut corps, that it was a marvelous creation of cinematography. That's what he said. Now, given that this is the guy who survived uh, Apollo 13, you know, 1970, 200,000 miles away from Earth, his spacecraft blows up. Um, you know, so to get Lovell saying Gravity's a really cool movie is quite, uh, you know, quite a tribute indeed. So Gravity went on to get 10 Oscar nominations, won seven, including, of course, Best Director. Please welcome the wonderful Alfonso Cuaron. Good luck.
Well, thank you so much for coming to do this. And I want to start by asking about a different film which plays a part in the story of Gravity, which is Marooned, 1969, starring Gregory Peck. I don't know how many people have even heard of this film, but you're not so much into the, the monster fantasy sci-fi, but the kind of realistic science fiction. Well, if you call it science fiction, I mean, the thing is that f science fiction has, the, the definition of science fiction has changed so much since the 40s and, and uh, 30s and 40s, to, to, uh, because now science fiction is very blended with fantasy. You know, it's, uh, uh, people call Star Wars science, science fiction with, that is fantasy. You know, there are other films that are fa science yeah. fiction. Mm? In, in Interstellar is uh, a science fiction film, you know? Uh, so Marooned, what was, tell me about well, this Maroon, film. Well, Marooned, it, it, uh, it, it was a film, I think it was uh, shot in 68, and pretty much, predicted events that happened a year later. It was a year later, two years later, with year Apollo later, 13. Yes. And it's about a group of astronauts that get stranded uh, in, in orbit, just the same as, as uh, Apollo 13. Mm -hmm. And the whole mission, the, the whole rescue mission to get them. And interestingly, shot in 68 in the midst of the Cold War, it was a film in which showed the collaboration of the Soviets and the Americans to, to save these, these astronauts. And uh, the way that it's done, it was, it was very well researched. And, uh, and, and they really took seriously the, the, the realistic approach to the whole thing. It's a great film. If you can see it, it's, it's a blast. It's so You've fun You've seen it many watch. times, I know, haven't you? Um, so th the story of Gravity, the way that you chose to focus it on, I mean, it has you know, these two figures, um, the male astronaut, the female astronaut, but it focuses on Sandra Bullock's character. Tell me about how you developed this story. And crucially, I've heard that you called it a, the drama of a woman in space rather than, again, not a science fiction film. I think it's, a, it's more like a thrilling drama than, than, than actually science fiction. I mean, science fiction in the sense that it's a nonsense, but, uh, a, but, but it's not, you know, a, it's, it takes place in, in the present in which all the technology exists. So it's not e we're not even inventing technology. The only thing that, and we didn't even invent it, we took the designs, is the, the, Shenzhou, the Shenzhou, the Chinese station, is not, I think that they just put one, to claim that they have a space station, I think that they, they put a small, like a, like a small thing, and actually not, not even people can go inside, but, uh, but the project is, I think, like for 2020 to have the Shenzhou, the whole station, or that was before, I don't know what's happening now. But um, the uh, uh, but I was telling about Shenzhou because of well, it was just the idea of, of yeah. the, f the focus of the story on the Sandra Bullock character and how you developed that. Oh yeah, well uh, the original story, the very very original story, the, the first draft of the film, there was only one character, that was this woman, and uh, and it would follow this character. We tried to to do a film in which we would see only one character, and. It proved to be, it was very interesting, but it, 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 it proved to be a bit uh, self-conscious. You know, it, was, it, it, it felt a little bit like that was a, a, a contrivancy. And, uh, and this is when we started developing the other character. And we were very careful of, you know, you see other astronauts, but you never see their faces, except when he's completely killed. Mm -hmm. And uh, the... Um, 
uh, uh, yes, and the whole idea was this journey of this woman. Uh, we wanted, I wrote this, this film with my son, Jonas, because I have just, uh, I have just read a screenplay that he wrote called Desierto, that actually he directed and is releasing this year. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's a film that is non-stop action. You know, yeah, and when I'm saying action, is I'm not I'm meaning uh, not necessarily explosions and stuff, but just like uh, events keep on happening, yes. you know, and relentlessly. I said, hey, uh, help me write something like that. And so um, we wrote we 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 wrote the screenplay, but the whole premise was that it should almost have no story. You know, it was, uh, the, the whole idea is that the whole journey would work metaphorically, you know, and so it was going to work about imagery, you know, so that, that's the reason why. And we basically uh, decided to just take a, a thematic approach. We decided our themes, and we just were thinking how to develop those themes, you know, without, without being uh, or explicit or textual. So uh, it was clear from the get-go that rebirth was a big, rebirth. Big, big, big part of the film. And space lends itself naturally. You know, you have uh, all these fetal positions. If you see the exhibit <laughs> in the, and you see the capsules, they, they Yes, right, they are in fetal positions They, they, are, they are in fetal yeah, positions. Uh, so that, that, that already lends, and, and also the capsules are like a womb. Yes. So that already had a whole thing, this umbilical, co uh, 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 umbilical cords and stuff, you know? So that was already uh, kind of a point of departure for the whole thing. In many ways, uh, even if we have the George character, uh, Kowalski, we always talk about if it was just everything around Sandra's character is nothing but a projection of herself, you know, and of her own circumstance and fears. Okay. I want to show the first of our clips um, in a moment, uh, which really is that point when the momentum of the film gets going, and it is uh, that moment of collision when there's been an accident and the debris from that... Um, is it the Russian satellite that's kind of yeah. um, in gone off orbit? Yes, has in real life it was a Chinese. When that thing happened, the I mean, incident thing happened inspired. as bad as that, but the, the, the Chinese uh, sent a missile to destroy one of the satellites and created a lot of debris that became dangerous. That, uh, that stuff that we have in the, in the film that is called the Kessler Syndrome. The Kessler Syndrome is the scenario in which one satellite or any man-made object that is, because it's full of trash up there. Yes, you know, that's what it's, really it's, comes across is how much debris It's really, there is. really full of trash up there and it's becoming a problem. And the, and the Kessler syndrome is this, this, uh, this event, predicted event that could happen, that if two man-made objects, they crash, uh, the speed in which these things are orbiting is so fast that if things crash, they, they get disintegrating in thousands of objects that are like bullets then they go and crash against other, uh, other man-made objects, creating a chain reaction. And the fear of that is, is that if uh, a big chain reaction happens, pretty much it would make uh, going out to space absolutely impossible. Okay. It's the fact that it's this accident and then it sets off this chain reaction of events. Um, it's just so amazing to watch. 
talk me through how you kind of developed the story from this moment and, and how you kind of worked out where it would go. Well, speaking of the metaphorical elements, I mean, it's so easy. You, you have <laughs> a character floating in the void. There's already kind of uh, a relationship between, you know, you, uh, is the human relationship with the nothing, you know? So, uh, uh, the, um, uh, that, that was, uh, from the get-go, was very clear, you know, there had to be an event that is, it was going to trigger that she was going to be, uh, that, that she was going to be floating in space alone. Um, when we first tried it we with one character, we, re we realized that they became a bit tedious because, they, you know, that, uh, and is when we start exploring, giving him a compa giving her a companion for the first part of the of the of, of of the journey, also to make clear that that space is not her natural place. You know that she's uh, pretty much she's somebody someone who is uh, not an expert in the field. You know she's a. Uh, She's, she's got her science mission. And she that's has her a focus. science mission, and she's a doctor, and she decided to go and do that, but just that, you know. And uh, 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 in order to arrive from the moment that she's going to be alone, and and going with the journey, and uh, uh, the the key for that it, it was that if you just have a lot of scenes and it can be very exciting and a lot of visual effects, but if you don't have like an emotional arc that continues. Uh, that, that flows all the way through and actually grows uh, as you go, then it becomes just repetitive. And, and that was the balance, you know, trying to find out. Uh, we, we had amazing, I'm actually, uh, Lubeski, the cinematographer, he was so upset with me because we cut out one scene early on in the film. Uh, that was his favorite. The light was absolutely amazing. And the scene was actually a good scene. The only, the only problem was that it was it was making the whole thing uh, repetitive. What was the know? scene briefly? It was a scene in which as they're approaching the space station, they see a Soyuz, the, uh, one of those, those ships, uh, that is approaching them and they think it's a, a rescue mission. And soon they realize that it's not, that it's the space station that is evacuating and is going back to Earth. And they are alone now, and they have to keep on going. And they have a fight, and you know she, you know they, they, they lose it for a moment. And it was it was a, a good scene. I, I love it because it was a whole yelling to each other, and they were facing each other, helmet to helmet. <laughs> and we had the sun right behind behind them, so this the whole glass of the of of, of the helmet was flared by the by the sunlight. It was what Chivo did was amazing. But you felt it would. Well, it was repetitive. repetitive. So, okay. yeah. God, you're tough. <laughs> you're a cinematographer. Um, tell me about authenticity, as I know several um, astronauts have really praised this film. Down to the guy who pointed out, even the the wire cutter that she has uh, yeah. is he recognised it is spot on. How far did you feel you could be authentic, and how far was it a, a distraction to worry about? Well, uh, we were clear that physically. I mean, the whole story is quite impo impossible, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not stupid, I know that. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, a, a, but as part of the, the a, but, but it was important to make feel that it was, that it was real. 
you know, that one more time it was not a fantasy, that it was real, and it was a real circumstance of a real human. And so that's the reason we completely got rid of, of, uh, of a, a invented technology, you know, and uh, we went to the extreme of, uh, a, we were going to use the next generation because these, uh, these, uh, the, these, these white astronaut suits, they are pretty much out of it. Last season. Yeah, that, that, those, were, that, those guys are last season. The new ones are completely different. But they look to, ha to science fiction, you know? And we wanted people to see the, the film recognizing what they associate with space uh, exploration. So that was, uh, um, and the bottom line is, since I was a child, I was fascinated by, space pro by the space program, and uh, I, uh, I collected all the information. I, when I was a kid, I had books and books yeah. just of cutouts and stuff. And it was just a great opportunity to talk to astronauts and, and for them to show me around NASA and, and to get into the Vomit Comet and all of that stuff. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. Um, well, let's, I want to show our second clip now um, before we talk about it. Well, you know where the Vomit Comet is? The, the what? The Vomit Comet. Where's the... The Vomit Comet is, we were <laughs> planning to shoot in the Vomit Comet. That is a plane that they use to oh, train yeah, astronauts. Yeah, 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 where you get that, the effect that, of zero yeah, gravity. That, that you go very high up, and then the plane pretty much plummets. And because you are surrounded by, by a structure, you feel as if you're floating and gravitating, you know, just like yes. without gravity. And, uh, uh, and then the, the plane goes up. It just keeps on doing loops, yes. you know, goes up and down. And, and uh, it's so much fun. And, uh, <laughs> you did that. <laughs> yeah, and it's called Vomit Comet because a lot of people vomit. But, uh, and, and I was very afraid because I'm a wimp with uh, roller coasters, and it was so much fun. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Excellent. Um, right, so the clip I want to show next is the one around the fire. The stunt, the stunt person threw up. You should have done the stunts. <laughs> Does Sandra Bullock throw up? Did she go up in it? No, she's no. She 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 refused. She hates planes. She refused. I, we were <laughs> doing tests to do it there, and she said, "No, I'm not going. I'm not getting there." So, actually, actually, for a while she thought we were doing it there, and David Heyman, the producer, she, she he, he told me, "Hey, uh, we're not using the bombing comments." He says, "I know." He says, "Should we tell Sandra?" He says, "Not yet." And the reason was that the system that we used, it was so, so tough for the actors. You know, the, just physically and in terms of the concentration. You know, uh, Sandra had to work out for, if I tell you, four months before the start of the shoot, just to be able to, to do the whole thing. But once that I told her that she was not going to vomit comet, she was happy doing was happy. whatever. Because you had a giant rig, didn't you, <laughs> that she kind of lived inside essentially all day? Well, we, we had all kind of, of rigs that, that, uh, that Mr. Grey of Fifty Shades of Grey would really envy. <laughs> <laughs> you just put some really strange imagery together there. <laughs> That's an idea, no? In space. You heard it yeah. here first. <laughs> yeah, let's do the Q&A about that one, too. And by the way, I asked these astronauts if there was, if there's a, uh, if sex in space had happened. Okay, and? You'll be surprised, there was a married couple in the, in the space station, and there's a lot of speculation that it happened. 
<laughs> well, you'd think someone else would notice. I mean, it's... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this conversation is going somewhere really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, to bring it back to our mission, um, so the next clip I want to show is the one with the fire. She, so she's, she's got into, she's on her own, and she's got into the space station, the International Space Station. And as she's got, and we notice these little flickering flames. Um, let's see the clip, and then we can talk about it. Because even just the idea of actually showing what a fire would be like in a space station, which must be one of those great panics, but hasn't happened, is fascinating. So let's have a look at the next clip. God. Um, what I, I love about the sequence of events, again, it's just, you know, no one, we, we don't know how the fire started, but it's just dealing with these completely accidental things. How did you research and indeed film that? Because it's, I didn't show the whole thing, but it, when she first enters, there are these little sparks coming off those loose wires and you know something's going to happen. It just looks incredible. Yeah, um, the, uh, when I start, we were writing the screenplay and then I start having conversations with, uh, with, with astronauts. And, um, and it became so easy because you just ask an astronaut, what can go wrong? And everything can go wrong, <laughs> you know? It, 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 so the, the amount of possibilities for a disaster or for anything are, are there all the time. And also, most of the thing, I had to say, that looks like uh, science fiction, but a, a lot of the stuff that, that you see uh, not not all of them together, but in different events, happen. Have happened. You know the the, um, the 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 space station, not the International Space Station, but I think it was the Mir. The Mir yeah. had a fire, um, and uh, so we there was there were people telling us how uh, the fire, for instance, would look. It's very interesting because when you have fire in space, uh, because there's no gravity. So it tends to be doesn't doesn't make the, those flames and doesn't dance like that, you know. It's more like uh, if you light uh, a match, you will come. Let me a hold sphere. the mic while you explain it. Sorry, to you. Sorry. if you light the match, <laughs> it will come like a sphere only around it. Actually, it's quite beautiful. Yeah. So um, the important thing for that was a lot of well, in the film, generally speaking, there were a lot of uh, scientists that work with the visual effects just to do the simulations, you know, because it, the, the fire in many ways proved to be one of the easiest things. What proved to be very difficult was the, um, for instance, you see seat belts of tethers, mm. how they move, how to, they react when there's no, there's no gravity or microgravity. And uh, all of that stuff, they have to be simulated. So it was actually, those things move as, those objects would move in space, you know, or very similar to how, how they would move. So the, the, uh, the whole idea with the scene is, it was that we come from our first ki kind of fetal, obvious fetal position, yeah. that they arrived to the space station. She has a moment of calm before, and call it reflection, before everything one more time uh, 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 starts happening again. Um, it proved to be the most difficult sequence to shoot. Is the one that everybody was scratching their heads of how to do it because uh, we wanted. First of all, she is uh, pretty much in her underwear, 
Uh, so there were no there were no place to hide wires or anything. If you'd given her a space napper, you could have hidden it in there. Uh, there you go. Which is controversial. I, I know, I know. Thing. that. Yeah, some people complain that when she takes the astronaut suit off, she didn't have her nappy. And we talk about it. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. think people would have liked it, but <laughs> yeah. The, uh, um, so it, what the difficult of this sequence is that you have a human pretty much floating that you see actually her twirling. And... Uh, and, and besides twirling, uh, you're surrounded by walls, um, and everything's in one shot. Yes. You know, so the camera is on, on, on always following. So it was a combination of. Uh, it was one of those took forever to figure out how it was going to do, um, and uh, it involved uh, a lot of robots and 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 one special rig that was built spe specifically for that. That was a wire rig, uh, but it had like 12 wires. And so it had a way in which Sandra could move almost in every position. And she was puppeteered. You know, it was like, uh, this is like a huge puppet. And uh, the puppeteers were the puppeteers for the war horse, <laughs> the play. So, and they were fantastic. And it's amazing how Sandra worked with the puppeteers. It was like uh, they really understood each other. Mm -hmm. So they knew, and Sandra would explain the timings and first perform for them, and then they would do it, but to the dime. It was, it was really beautiful to see them working on that stuff. And that rig was absolutely uh, painful. You know, that, that rig on Sandra was terrible. You know, she, uh, the, all, those, all of those rigs, and it was the only way we could do this whole thing. Just, uh, the, the whole thing is that she has to look as if she's floating and there's no tension. Yes. While she was doing that on Earth with gravity and, you know, standing in one toe. You know, and, uh, and she had to be so fit uh, in order to be able to do it effortlessly, you know. It was, it was pretty amazing. One of the other aspects which is very interesting, especially having just gone around the Cosmonauts exhibition with you and thought about the psychology of astronauts, you know, dealing with things. And there's a moment when she's she's going through the manual and, and then she's trying to follow the instructions. And I think, doesn't she say, I, I remember this? It's that sense of you Part of the, if, the if, if, if she would in. have gone to space, she would have the basic training of, uh, you know, she's not supposed to operate the Soyuz. There's a person who would do it. But she would have to be trained to operate it in case of an emergency. Um, Together with that, they have these amazing manuals in the in the Soyuz. Probably they have it in the exhibition. Yeah, I wondered. They I have mean, these manuals they that work are very complete. Even if it's complete. not your first language, mm? even if it's not your first language, they're written in sort of an easy it, to understand. Yes, exactly. Different versions. Yeah, in, in Cyrillic, and um, the uh, a, a, and Sandra actually, a, pretty much she knew how to start a Soyuz. You know, because she would have this conversation with astronauts. And she was talking all the time with, uh, uh, she was talk, 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 talking all the time with Catherine Coleman, who was in the space station. And, you know, we would start blocking the scene or rehearsing and says, okay, you know what? Uh, but then, which is the sequence of the buttons? And we have the guys who knew and says, well, first these, this, these, this, these, this, this. No, I think there's something wrong. Hold, hold on a second. She'll take her telephone. And she will dial the space station. 
and then she was just one second and hit space. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and she was talking with, 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 with Catherine Coleman. They said, okay, okay, guys, I, I have it. It's like this, like this. Like, you know, she was always, um, uh, and a lot of that had to do with that Sandra had conversations with her was about how do you feel when, you know? It was not only about the very practical things, but how do you feel when? And obviously having practiced those scenarios on Earth. Um, let's go on to the next clip, and just before we see it, um, what I loved is this is the point in the film where you start to get a sense of how Earth, which we've sort of forgotten about in a way, we've been so focused on her just trying to stay alive and make the next move. Um, it's around a scene where she does make contact with a radio ham on Earth. Mm. And um, it's, it's quite a controversial scene, I think, as well, because it's a whole issue about despair, does she give into despair or not? Um, but crucially, how does Earth and the idea of survival look and how does it feel to an astronaut up there? Let's have a look at the clip and then let's talk about it. Um, I mean, you all know that seems quite controversial. So it, she's, it does seem she's given up, she's in the soy's capsule and she turns off the oxygen and she's, she's going to just accept that she's going to die up there. And for the audience, there's that significant sense of time when you think, could George Clooney have come back? And of course, it's her fantasy and it's that motivation. What made you put that scene in, given that it is a moment of genuine fantasy in your science? Well, it's, not a, it's a dream. I mean, <laughs> they exist. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, a lot of uh, women dream about and, uh, George and, and, and by the way, <laughs> she's not... Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, look, oh. I, I had the two of them in space. Anyway, uh, the... the uh, <laughs> not, I mean, it, and also, he's not telling her anything that she doesn't know. You know, it's not mm -hmm. that, that she's, he's coming. It, I mean, she's just remind, reminding her of her own insights. You know, in, in other words, she's, it's, the, it's the avatar that she chose for her dream. But, but, but uh, I, I don't see it as a fantasy or a, you see it as a, as a dream. Or a, Fair enough. You know? In terms of the themes then, what theme was this section of the film about? Because, you know, you talked about the kind of the fetal, the birth, and then you had, um, the, I, I forgot what the second one was now, sorry. Um, but, you know, what's the kind of progression, yeah, well that bigger arc It's obviously she's, she's giving up, you know? She's, she's giving up. And, uh, and before this scene, we, we hear that anyway, in Earth, she doesn't have much, much more to, she doesn't have much to do in Earth anyway. And... Um, uh, so, this is the moment in which, you know, when you go, the idea is that you go through a rebirth. Yeah, you have to just to embrace all the pain, all the, you know, all the pain, all the, uh, and uh, embrace it and, and, and start anew with that. But, but it's not about forgetting that. It's, it's using that as, as your experience, being new but with that experience, you know. And I should just say, we only heard a little of it. You could hear it in the background there. But when she does make contact with that man on Earth, is he um, Inuit? Inuit, yeah. It's so beautiful because you hear an earthly voice as if it's an alien voice. And again, I wondered how far that was very deliberate, that you sort of flip the convention of when you make contact with an outside no, voice. It, sincerely, on, we decided that we wanted a moment in which she connects with Earth and that they don't speak the same language. Yes. But th somehow they have a conversation. And uh, when, uh, years ago, when I was scouting, I was scouting locations in, in Greenland. I was in the middle of nowhere, you know, and I had been 
like three hours in a snowmobile. It was so cold. And suddenly there was a dot in the distance. As we approached, it was this Inuit that was alone in the middle of nowhere with his dogs, and he was fishing. <laughs> and, the, uh, and he was completely wasted. He was so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and he offered us like yeah, like fish and drink and the, the whole thing and and you know he was he just lives you know with his family lives uh, uh, in the middle of nowhere and uh, and we took that as a reference for for this character as if she was talking with this character. Then Jonas went to uh, as, as express you know instead of making uh, making offs and stuff to say. Yeah, let me make a little short. And Jonas went to Greenland, and he shot the whole scene, but from the standpoint of of yes. Anningan, of the of the Inuit. And it's, it's actually a very sweet short. Lovely, but of course, just hearing the sound is lots so evocative. I want to get in one more clip as well before we open it up to questions. Um, and it, it's part of the re-entry sequence. And every account I've ever read of astronauts, certainly the accounts that, that are in the stories in Cosmonauts, this is the moment of greatest fear, in a way. If you've made it that far, it's just the sense of the heat, uh, the terror, the sheer physical force of what you're going through. And this, how long is that sequence? Obviously, we're going to show a short section of it. But from the moment that she actually you know, sets off in that Chinese capsule back on the, the way in, how long is that whole sequence, approximately? Because it's obviously playing out in a kind of real time. But it's Well, not really. I mean, if it was for real, it would take way longer. Okay. Yeah. Really long. uh, <laughs> uh, the... Um, so, but you know, it's, it's a length, it's, it's a lengthy sequence, but it's very well recorded. What happens up there with these guys when they are when, when they are when they are uh, uh, coming back to Earth, and it's very scary. You well, know, it's, it's they say that it's like being on top of the wildest uh, 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 bull from a uh, rodeo, a rodeo bull. Yeah. They say it's absolutely horrible how everything goes. Um, the Do they feel the heat even through the the shielding? On they the they feel they feel some heat, not not much. But, the, but what I understand is that they feel the heat. Yes, tem temper temperature ch ch changes. You know, they are surrounded by fire. Yeah. And uh, and and look, is the moment in which anything can go wrong because first of all they lose communication with er with Earth, um, uh, and secondly because of the heat and the and the shakiness. Uh, all equipment can can become complete, completely irrelevant, and at that point you don't want to use much of the equipment, but you want to make sure that the parachutes work. So uh, yeah, it seems to be every time you talk to them, they say that is the scariest, the scariest moment of the whole thing. Right. Well, we've only able to show a, a short part from the beginning of the sequence, but let's have a look. God, you can see what I mean. Like we couldn't show the whole thing, but wow! Um, you, did you really jolt her around loads? Like, mm -hmm. you know, when that whole sequence, yeah. did you jolt her around in yes, the rig? Yes, quite a lot. <laughs> 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 and funny enough, it was the only low-tech effect. Uh, it was the only low-tech effect. It was pretty much the capsule on, um, on top of these big pneumatic tires yeah. and people just jumping. <laughs> you know, you know, Do you know I hate to say it because <laughs> I know you're not, you, you know, but Star Wars, isn't that exactly the same? The Millennium Falcon jumping into hyperspace, it's just people shaking it from the outside. It's I haven't the see, I have the pleasure. It's a big high-tech secret. <laughs> you basically <laughs> just shake it from the outside, and, and that's your special effect. Um, it's such a beautiful sequence. And I notice it's one of the few sequences in the film where you use music, um, obviously, for part of the emotion of, of this journey. And how did you feel about that? 
Um, I, I, first, at first, I felt very bad because I didn't want to have use any music in the film, and and I tried a version in which it was, and I tr really tried. The, the problem is this: is you don't have music, but you don't have sound either, and it was it was boring, <laughs> and, and and so we we end up, you know, and Steve Price, the composer, he did an amazing job because he understood that I didn't want any. Uh, something is in interesting of, this, of, uh, of his score is that there's not one single percussion. And for a big Hollywood film, it, that is, uh, I, I don't think there's any other big Hollywood film that has a score without one single percussion. You know, and, um, and, and the reason was that the percussive sound would be too, too hard. You know, it would be like right. transmitting the sound too much. Um, but anyway, um, the important thing is that, yes, this happens to an astronaut, but when we were writing the script and when I was talking with Sandra, we'd never talk about astronauts. It's about life. You know, a, a part of the experience of being alive is, is to face obstacles and face pain. You know, and, uh, uh, as, and as the sages say, that you cannot fully embrace life on, until you fully embrace death. You know, and you cannot fully embrace life until you reach a, sta a state of fearlessness. And this is what that scene was about. Excellent. I think we should take some questions. We have some microphones. Um, so if you stick your hand up, people will come to you and find you, and then they will let us know. So we, if we've got two on each side. Um, right, I can see there's one down here and one over there. And what, is there any ones on this side? You want to get your hands up? I can certainly see one there. Should we take this one first? And then if you guys give me a signal, and I'll take the next one. Go for it. Um, you ended the film really abruptly with her just sort of returning back to Earth. Sort of, why did you choose to do that? Because that's the end of the story. I mean, <laughs> she made it to Earth. Is um, I, I personally, I don't like those films, and and the, I have to say that that's a tendency that's happening in Hollywood after the in the eighties that you finish the movie and then you need a reassurance that everything is fine. You know, and I cannot stand that. You know, I, can, I just cannot stand that. If you see films all the way to the 70s, the films will end when they end. You know, no more explanations about, and you have to make up your own conclusions and stuff. Um, also, because what we're trying to play there, uh, kind of metaphorical, me metaphorically, is that her struggle is this, the struggle of everyone. Yeah. And, and that struggle is also the struggle of humanity. And I'm not talking humanity as, as intellectual humanity. I'm talking about intellectual as, as, a, as a, a humanity as a species. So crawling out of and the sea she, and she's walking on land. Crawling out and stuff until she, she's on, on, in, in two feet. Um, I love, for instance, this film, Zemeckis' Castaway. The, you know, the one in which Tom Hanks is in, she's, he's, he's in an island. Uh, and I love the whole film until his rescue, and then you have the whole ending that you go back in time. It was so great when he was in the island. <laughs> and then I, I, I'm in some Midwestern town, I, I have no interest. Right. You know, it's, uh, there was, of course, I have a lot of studio intervention that they wanted, uh, I mean, they wanted they a want lot George of things. Clooney to be alive at the end somehow. Well, uh, well, we had we had an ending, and we tried with visual effects that she's just walking, and as she's walking, suddenly something falls from the sky and crushes her, and it's George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> that would be a good ending. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a <laughs> you wouldn't ask what happened after. Oh, the, uh, God. <laughs> um, no, is the uh, for, for uh, no, but the studio. I mean, besides wanting many other things like, like the, that, we should build a set of Houston and have a whole scene, you know, cut back and forth with Houston, in which there's a love interest between the the the, the mission commander and and Sandra Bullock, you know, because they were afraid that just seeing one woman alone in space was going to be boring, and. Uh, <laughs> But for the ending, they wanted, they really push for airplanes and helicopters coming to rescue. <laughs> you know, they were really pushing for it. And I settled, in which I'm sure you haven't seen it, but I promise that it was going to be very clear. There's a little house in the distance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I prefer that, the helicopters and stuff. Yeah. Excellent. We've got another couple of questions from the side. Yes, you've got the microphone, go for it. So... First, I don't think that it's very realistic for a woman to stand up right at the end because if you just had something really dramatic, you okay. wouldn't like stand up. You would actually lie on the ground and just go, well, that was an adventure. And, um, <laughs> and secondly, I think it's a bad idea to have not a lot of people on board because, for example, when you've got all those photos coming from space with... Tim Peak, you've got like him with all the crowd and one of the most important thing in space is how you deal with other people but when you only have one person even on all the space stations I don't think that that is very realistic. Well it was, it was supposed that, the space uh, that they have evacuated, actually they say that they evacuated the space station, that's the reason the space mm -hmm. station is empty. But, but we, you have all the objects of the people who were living there. But there was still the Soyuz capsule attached to it. Yes, because there are two Soyuz uh, space uh, escape boats in the so in the in the space station. So how did they all fit in one? Because uh, <laughs> no, because the the in the right now, for instance, there's only one person or two persons. I, I think it's two people right now in the space station. The space station is not always full; it just varies. Sometimes it's very full, and sometimes you have two or three people. And it was, um, I guess, yeah, but you're absolutely right about standing up, but there's not, not so much because of the shock and all the emotion, but uh, you know that after all these, all these days uh, in, in microgravity, it would be very difficult for her just to get up immediately. You know, it, it would be a, a whole process. Uh, but then it would be even a longer ending. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's creative license. We've got time for just a couple more. We've got one just here. Yep, go for it. Oh, my favourite film of all time. It was wonderful. Um, so one of the things that was really great about the film was um, the relationship between Sandra Bullock's character and George Clooney's character and the, the opposite relationship, that he's this kind of gung-ho cowboy. Yeah, I really, you know, this is great. We love it. We love it. And he's encouraging her to find the fun even though they're floating in space and lost. Did you do that on purpose? And then when he leaves her, it's, it's like he transplanted some of it, his perspective. Uh, yeah, that, the, I mean, we, we wanted, uh, yes, the, you're absolutely right. We wanted uh, Sandra's character to, to be very shut off. So in order to, to really express that, we needed someone that is the opposite. Uh, that, by the way, is very, speaking of unrealistic things, something that's unrealistic, all this chattering of, uh, yes. of George, 
would not happen in space. I heard astronauts complained about that. So we'd be yeah. very strict about following protocol. Yeah, you're very strict about what you said, but then, you know, honestly, it would have been boring. <laughs> and you have George, he's so charming. You know, you just want him to be saying, be sure to screw the, you know, all of this now. That's, that's fine. And I think we can take one more question. Oh, is it down there? Go for it. Hi. Um, I read online that you prevised basically the entire movie. I don't know how true that is, but from a directorial standpoint, I'm interested in your epic one-take shots that you're famous for. How do you direct that sequence from storyboard to previs when in this type of movie there is nowhere that you could put the camera that isn't beyond your imagination? Where do you go from that? Do you stand over the shoulder of some poor CGI man and then just keep plowing at it? I mean, could you go through that process from paper to previous to what we see? I guess that begins in paper. You know, when you're, 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 you're writing the script, you're already picturing what is going to happen. And uh, usually, as, mo as, as much as I can, I prefer not to, preview, not to do previews, unless it's something important for uh, you know, all, all the members of the crew to understand something. You know, because uh, something was very frustrating for me doing this film and for Chivo, is that we are used of constantly changing and improvising. And here everything had to be set in stone. And uh, it, so, uh, we're going to do, usually we arrive and I have an idea of how the shot is going to be, but then you start staging and you change your mind and you do something that's completely different. Here we, we were not going to have that luxury, so it meant that whatever you had in the previous was going to be what it was going to be at the end. So we knew that doing those previous was fundamental and Chivo was, uh, Chivo was involved in the process not only through the shoot, uh, he's, he was involved in the process the five years. So as we were doing previews, he was also lighting the previews. By the way, for the ones that, who, who doesn't know what previews are, are very are animations, rough animations, that replicate the scenes in order for you to know where the camera is and, and, and how the elements will work. So uh, what you, 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 you use, uh, said something, it's very difficult when you have, when you're doing previous in space in which you don't have a floor, uh, where to start, and the funny thing is we start doing previous, and you were doing previous the way that you would do with people walking. You know, and it took us, it took me a while to reeducate myself and watch more footage to say, okay, no, this is not what would happen. But it was very frustrated for, for the animators because the animators, they learn to draw based upon two things, horizon and gravity. <laughs> you know? And suddenly you, you were doing previews, so I would give my notes and I would do storyboards to guide the previews. But then I would see what they, was, they were doing and says, guys, that guy is standing up. And it took a long while for them to understand the dynamics of, of this situation, you know, of, uh, that there's no up and there's no down. And uh, so that was very tricky, but then we lit the previous because we wanted to make sure that all our elements were working together, you know, even the light. And uh, once we had that, the real nightmare began, that it was, okay, now how we're going to make this work. Uh, but in this film, 
uh, previous were, you know, ones that you did, we did, uh, pretty much the film was shot in, in that process of the previous. And again, that was frustrating because of the little room that you have to improvise later on. Wow, and I think you know, it's 80 out of the 91 minutes of that film are based on these elaborate effects. You know, mm -hmm. that's nearly all of it is shot um, on this no, What is amazing is the, the, the work that the visual effects did in, in this film. I mean, when you see, in most of what you see, the, the, the astronaut costumes are visual effects, are not real. So we were just shooting the face of the actors. It's amazing. I'm really sorry that we have to leave it there, but there's something we wanted to leave you with. Um, and it's if you haven't been to see Cosmonauts before coming to this, go. And if you have been, go back and look again at those capsules um, and think about what they faced. And also just the, those panels with the little buttons and things. It's just remarkable. Um, I We're going to show you a, a little film about Valentina Tereshkova, who um, was that woman who was the first, um, well, she was a skydiver, and she did you know, this amazing mission in space. Um, so we're going to end on that. But before that, I would just like to thank Alfonso. Well, Ocuador. I was going to say because so of I want to thank, and I want to thank the museum. And, uh, uh, but I want also to thank for that amazing exhibition that is uh, the, the, uh, of, the, of the cosmonauts. Um, I think that the, the uh, Russian and Soviet space program has been very, very underrated. You know, and it's so great that finally it's celebrated. The, um, uh, I, I was, uh, uh, we were commenting with Roger before how, you know, the Americans, they went through different versions of, of, of spaceships. You know, they have the, the Gemini, they have the, the Mercury, they have the Apollo, they have um, this, the shuttle, now they're doing the Orion. The Russians pretty much had the Soyuz and that's it. And nowadays you still go to space in the Soyuz. It's like a VF, v, VW Beetle, you know? <laughs> so uh, a lot of that technology is so relevant. And in terms of design, it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Well, we'll let you see the film before um, you leave. But I think we should all thank Alfonso Coron. Thank you so much. Thank you.